I'm going to jump right in and, and tell you what the focus is here and just, um, just give you an outline. The focus is that we are all to make God's name known. That's what God has charged us with. And uh, as I met with Graham earlier this week, as we were talking and preparing about Kelly and I coming to share, and, and I was just sharing about uh, what God had put on, on my heart, and uh, we were trying to figure out just how all this sharing was going to work. I think Graham uh, must have thought, Bonza, mate, if I work this right, I'll have a day off, get Alan to preach. Um, but no, thank you, Graham. It wasn't like that. But uh, there was a, a lot of uh, passion, and, and Graham could see that, yeah, what God had put on my heart to share with you. So we, Kelly and I, we really want to reconnect. We haven't been here for a while. And we really want to connect with you as a congregation uh, as, as we're serving the Lord in Thailand. And so I'm going to try and do that as uh, I unpack uh, 1 Samuel 17 here with you this morning. And I uh, also want to uh, just relate what God has for us in this passage to, uh, as is relevant to all of us. Uh, so I believe there are some messages here for us. And uh, these are three questions that I'm going to be answering throughout the message not in this order, but uh, all together, these will be covered. Uh, we're going to look at who David was in this 1 Samuel 17 context. We know that he would become king, uh, but who is he here in this account? Uh, why was he even involved anyway? Uh, why was he there? What was he up to? And how did David make God's name known? Uh, how did he go about that? So these are the questions that I'm going to be uh, talking about. Just a little bit uh, of uh, backstory. Uh, some of you uh, will know, and as Michael alluded to, for a long time, since 1991, we've been associated with this church, and uh, we've been very excited about that. And uh, there was a time, uh, Kaylee and I, we went to Thailand first for six years. Uh, our three daughters were born to us during that time, and uh, we then came back and, uh, and I was commissioned by Cedar College with a, a very simple uh, job description, uh, start the high school. Uh, it's very short, succinct. I could, you know, remember it easily. It was good. And uh, it was a great uh, challenge. It was a wonderful task. Really enjoyed uh, doing that. And that was a, a wonderful time. And it's great to see the school continuing to grow strength from strength, from strength to strength. I remember helping to uh, paint and renovate and, and do works around on the property, and my office was uh, upstairs overlooking the um, gazebo lawns just on the end of the building up here. For a time, I was camped up there, and um, I remember um, being in uh, facility planning meetings with Lou George and Pete, and uh, we would sit down, and, and Lou George would, would say that word about um, maybe we need a convertible, and uh, Peter Thompson would be like, no, no convertible buildings. No, transportable, sorry, not convertible, transportable. No transportables. He says, if we get a transportable, they'll never leave. Uh, and so uh, that's, uh, that's a challenge to this day. Is that right, Peter? So, yes. <laughs> but God is so good. He's done a wonderful work to grow the school. And uh, it's awesome. Let me pray as we jump into this passage, shall we? Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your grace to us and just all the things uh, that you bless us with. Um, 
You not only save us, but Lord, you call us into ministry. We are your ambassadors. We are to represent you to the people around us and in this world. Uh, Lord, you call us to a ministry of reconciliation uh, to help people to see that they need to be reconciled to you. And we know that this is a work of the Spirit, but at the same time, you couple with us uh, in this work. I, I don't fully understand why you do that, but Lord, you do. And, uh, and Lord, we just want to come to you now as we go into your word. Uh, I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds, that you might draw us closer to yourself and lead and guide us on the journey that you have for us. We just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, my phone went to sleep there. Okay, too long an intro, moving along. So 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 1, there's just one point I really need to make clear first before we jump into this well-known David and Goliath story. We know it too well, and sometimes when we're so familiar with the passage, we can overlook things. And I thought similarly as I was going through my quiet times not too long ago. And I thought, yeah, I know this story, and, uh, but God was faithful and just has brought out some new insights for me. And I want to share those with you this morning. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And encamped between Soko and Azekah, almost sounds like a sneeze, that one, in Ephes Damim, which belongs to Judah. They invaded Israel. Philistines are looking for a fight. Okay? They crossed the borders. They invaded. They are attacking Israel. So let's just be clear about the setting as the Philistines come up against Israel here. So they have come in. This is not new. This had been going on for some time. Let's look at the next verse I've got here. Looking back a bit to before Saul was king. So Samuel was still the last judge of Israel at this time, before the monarchy started. And Samuel, or God is prophesying through Samuel, he says, uh, tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. The Philistines for a long time, even since Samson, uh, going back into the judges era, uh, the Philistines actually ruled over Israel at that time. So for a long time, the Philistines had been a thorn in the side of Israel, and Israel had not uh, decisively uh, dealt with the Philistines. And so God is declaring that this king is to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. So this is even a declaration of judgment by God on the Philistines. They are condemned already by God. And then in chapter 10, Has not the Lord anointed you, speaking to Saul, to be prince over his people Israel? 
and you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Saul is commissioned and tasked with this job. Seems like a simple job description. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 17 and pick it up as we see these uh, instigators of trouble and war of the Philistines against Israel. So the, Israel, uh, the Philistines choose this uh, mammoth guy, their champion warrior, Goliath by name, to go out and uh, to uh, entice Israel into a one-on-one -on -one battle to decide the outcome of the war. And we pick it up, verse 8, he stood, that is, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out, draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Meaning, I'm going against the existence of Israel. I do not accept that you are here. This is uh, the, the attitude, this is representative of the Philistines. Uh, so they're really going against God who is wanting his people Israel in this place. Give me a man that we may fight together. And then when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's just pause and be real for a moment. Goliath, how big was this guy? How big was he? The Bible says that he was six cubits. And so I've got a picture of uh, a really big guy. His name was Robert Wadlow. He lived in uh, 1918, died at age 22, 1940. He was 272 meters tall. And he holds the Guinness Book of uh, World Records uh, for being the tallest man in the world. 272 centimeters. A cubit, apparently, is 45 centimeters. I'll do the math for you. I'll do that for free. You don't have to pay extra. 45 centimeters per cubit multiplied by six, you get 270 centimeters. So Robert was just an inch taller. Maybe Robert was the guy that uh, kicked him off the kick Goliath off the bragging rights post of being the tallest man. I don't know. 272 centimeters. Um, this is how big he was. I've got another picture uh, for you. Presumably with his family. And to see how, how tall. Goliath was probably a little bit more stocky than that. Probably a little bit more well built. Okay. Uh, his coat of mail, that is the, the, uh, the torso section of armor, he also had like bronze plates on his, on his legs, but on his torso he wore this coat of mail, it was 55 kilograms. Thank you very much. That's like piggybacking a child into battle. His spear, the tip of the spear, 
was over six kilograms. Can you imagine handling a spear, six kilogram tip? I uh, went to the Bucks night uh, on Friday with, uh, with you know, Miss Pringle, Matt, and um, we went to axe throwing. Do you know that place down in Theberton? This is axe throwing place. And uh, those axes were not six kilograms, thankfully, and I was a bit sore the next day. I thought, yep, I'm 50. And... Um, uh, that was fun. I can't imagine having a spear with an over six kilogram tip on it. That's something else. Goliath was a man mountain, a mammoth of a man. This is the guy that came out to taunt Israel. How did David reply? We pick the story up again in verse 26. David was a shepherd, the youngest of his brothers. His three brothers were amongst the ranks of Saul. And uh, David was keeping sheep, and his dad said, take some provisions to your brothers in battle and bring word back to me of how things are going. Because this taunting had been going on day and night for 40 days. For 40 days, these seasoned soldiers had been quivering in their boots on the one side of the valley. But David, when he had heard the taunts of Goliath, he said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so David clearly knows uh, what is actually going on here in the spiritual realm. Goliath is challenging even God. And so David is encouraging the men with this. And what happens? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. So someone went and told Saul, hey, David is you know, encouraging us like this. And they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. Saul summons David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Wow. <laughs> there are thousands of trained, equipped, decked out, experienced, seasoned soldiers on the side of this, house, of this hill, of this valley, and the king is in the tent, and they're all cowering in their boots. For 40 days, this has been going on. And David says, I'll go. I'll go. And at first, Saul uh, almost mocks David. You're not able to go against this Philistine. You can't go to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He has experience. You are not able. But David manages to persuade Saul, telling him, Well, I keep sheep when lions and bears come. I defend the sheep. I attack 
In verse 36, we see uh, David's secret. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The Lord will deliver me. His trust is wholly in God to make up the difference. And then we have Saul's response to David's persuasiveness. Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And as we are in church and we are Christians, that sounds completely normal. Okay, That's what we would say, go and the Lord be with you. But when you stop and consider who Saul is and who David is and what has been happening these last 40 days, this is a shockingly bad statement by Saul. This is, this is appalling to me that Saul would say this. Let's pause and consider who Saul is and who David is. Let's look at the comparison, if you like. Who is Saul? Saul, he is king. God has made Saul, chosen him to be king. He has commissioned him. He has given him a job description. You are to lead the people. You are to fight. You are to deliver them from their enemies. Saul had been charged with a mission from God himself. You will do this for the people. And Saul did go out in battle. He, when he was anointed by the Spirit, he went and prophesied. And he did go and fight. And he defeated armies. And he slayed his thousands. And he was victorious. But he was persuaded by the people and ended up not obeying the Lord. And he trusted in his own strength and in armor and in weapons, and in skill. He said to David, you're not able, here, try my armor on. Which is a bit comical. David, but a youth. Saul, how is Saul described? What is his stature? Head and shoulders above everybody else. Here, try my armor on. <laughs> what a joke, it's not going to fit. What's he doing? And because of Saul's disobedience to the Lord, ended up being, uh, having a, a troubling spirit that would come upon him. Who was David? A shepherd. What was his job? To keep sheep. To be a messenger, to bring provisions. But he didn't trust in armor and strength and skill. He trusted in the name of the Lord of hosts. And right there is the key and the totality of the difference between these two men. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when I read 
that Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you, I think, no, <laughs> you're the king. You were supposed to lead by example. You should have smoked this guy 40 days ago. What are you doing in your tent? Lead your men. And he's cowering in the tent. And he ends up sending a shepherd messenger boy into battle. Not equipped, not experienced, not mighty, no position of authority, no experience. He says, go and the Lord be with you. We pick the story up in verse 45. David goes out and confronts Goliath, who's probably looking up a fair way. And he says to this Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You have spoken against the Lord and his army. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Clearly God, uh, uh, David is declaring his reliance on, on God. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Wait, what? David doesn't have a sword. Spoiler alert. David has just disclosed the entirety of his battle strategy plan in advance before they've started. Now, I don't know about you, but generally in competitive sports, this is not a good idea. Okay, and I presume in military warfare as well. This is not wise. I uh, live in Thailand, I work with a lot of Americans, and they like their, well, they call it football, but you know, that's okay. And, um, and we watched the Super Bowl recently, and I don't know if you know this, but I mean, they have all those, the coaches have all those headsets and microphones, and they're speaking to each other on the headsets, and there's film cameras on everybody all the time, and everybody's watching everybody's film cameras and all of that. And so much so that when they, can I borrow this? I'll put it back, I promise. And when they, they have their, their battle plan drawn up here and they need to communicate in the microphone, they, they cover their face so that the film cameras can't see their lips moving because someone on the opponent's side is watching the broadcast and will try to read the lips to see if they can discern what strategy they're going to use next. So every time the coach speaks, he covers his, his bottom half of his face like this and talks for a while and then he lifts it away again to not disclose the battle plan. But David says, <laughs> he says, I'm going to strike you down and then I'm going to cut off your head. And by the way, thanks for bringing the sword that I'm going to use to do that with because I didn't bring one. I just brought a sling. Clearly, David is completely trusting God to uh, win the fight here, win the battle. David goes on and says, I'm going to strike you down, I'm going to cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of this host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. 
that all the earth may know. Here David is revealing his motivation. I'm going to pause and emphasize here that so often when we look at this story, we're excited about the fight and the little guy beating the big guy, the underdog winning the battle. We love that as Australians, right? And uh, that's what we focus on a lot of the time. We focus on how the fight was won by the little guy. But David's motivation here is not, I mean, winning the battle is part of it. But David's focus is this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all, that all this assembly may know, all that whole quivering in their boots, ranks of experienced soldiers on the, on the hillside, so that they all will know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. Don't put your trust in the equipment. Equipment is good. Qualifications are great. But don't put your trust in it. The Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. And so let's look a bit more about how David uh, approached this battle. So there's a series of, of bullet points here. His battle plan was a sling and a stone, and hopefully Goliath remembers to bring that sword I need. Um, and so he goes in. Th this is not a normal battle plan, a sling and a stone. Uh, every time I read about battles in, in the Bible... It includes uh, bow and arrow, archers, uh, swords, shields. Um, what else are these? Javelins, spears. Okay. I don't ever remember reading anything about a sling and stones uh, anywhere else. He did not have a tried and tested battle plan, but he was willing. He was willing. He was not formally trained. He wasn't even enlisted in the army. It's such an absurd situation that this guy who's not enlisted in the army will go and fight this battle to determine the outcome of his brothers and all their soldier friends. But he was passionate for God. He was not experienced, but he did see and seize an opportunity. He was not traditionally equipped. He didn't have the coat of mail and the shield and the sword and all of that. He used what he had. I know how to use a sling and a stone. I can do that if you'll have me. It was not his idea. He didn't wake up that morning, right, today I'm going to go take out Goliath. It wasn't his idea. But he was obedient as I said, he saw the opportunity and he was obedient to what God had commanded previously, referring to the Philistines as a nation. He was not supported by some of his family members. His brothers ridiculed him. You've come only just to see the fight. Why are you here? His brothers were not pleased. But he claimed the promise of God. on the aeroplane. Just to clarify, there are no aeroplanes in 1 Samuel 17. This is a note to me. 
to tell you that when we first went to Thailand in 1990, what was it, 97? And uh, sitting on the plane, Kaylee and I had been married for one year. In fact, our, my first day teaching at ICS Bangkok was our first year wedding anniversary. And um, before we arrived, I was sitting on the plane and I was just thinking about, you know, it's all becoming real. You know, first it's exciting. Okay, we're going to go to the mission field. We're going to, we're going to be missionaries. You know, this is going to be awesome. We're going to go to this great school. Wonderful opportunity. Share the gospel, etc. This is going to be great. And then I'm sitting on the plane and I'm thinking, I feel so ill-equipped right now. I've never been to Thailand. I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. I don't have a Bible degree. Aren't missionaries supposed to have a Bible degree? What, why, why did they hire me? I, I, don't, you know, I, I don't have that degree. I felt so ill-equipped to go. And I thought, what am I doing? And uh, being the guy that I am, uh, I obviously kept it to myself. I didn't tell Kaylee any of that. Uh, in fact, as I was sharing it with Graham earlier, uh, I think Kaylee says, oh, I didn't know that. Um, but, you know, guys, we've got to have it all together, right? So kept that to myself. But I was willing. I was passionate for God. And I presented to God what I had. I had a teaching degree and a couple of years under my belt. And, um, yeah, and so we went. Uh, we had already received the command from God. God says go. So we have the command. And, uh, and we obeyed and we went uh, as we felt God was leading to the opportunities that we saw uh, for us. I want to share with you personally now what it's like for us in Thailand to, to share uh, as we make his name known, I, I want to uh, just emphasize here about how the battle is the Lord's. So just emphasizing that verse there, uh, the battle is the Lord's. And that's true for you, it's true for me, it's true for all of us. And as I wrap it up with the points of application here for all of us, as we make his name known, as we make his name known, uh, for us in Thailand, it's so easy in the school. I mean, we, we teach the curriculum and we teach it from a Christian perspective. We show how God is relevant to that, uh, what we teach. But it's so easy in all of that to rely on our own strength. You know, we prepare lessons, we prepare activities, and we share the gospel. Uh, and as Kaylee said, it's exciting and it's such a privilege to share it to people who've never heard it before. And, uh, and we share and we think yeah, I, I did a good job. I laid the bridge illustration out really well. I told them about the Romans Road. I shared my testimony, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and we think, well, there it is. It, it's, it's done. Like, they should become Christians now. Like, I've, I've done everything so well. And it's so easy to rely on our own abilities and our own strength uh, when really what we need to be doing is relying on the name of the Lord of hosts. And it's not just Thai people, it's all people. It's your neighbor, it's your workmate, uh, it's everybody, it's our family members. It's a matter of the heart. We really need to remember to be relying on the work of the Spirit. We do our part, uh, but God has to do the rest.
Um, the battle is the Lord's, not ours. It's the Lord's. And I've got a phrase here, while the stone is in the air. Uh, I like to pause and I like to picture myself in, in David's shoes. And it says that, that David like charged against Goliath. So David was in, in full flight, charging this mammoth man mountain. And he's got his sling. And I just visualize as he releases that stone into the air from his sling. And the stone is traveling through the air. It's got a little ways to go to get up to his head. Uh, so there's a time gap there, and he's running, and I imagine that, that Goliath probably is as well. And as he releases that stone, I wonder if David was thinking, okay, God, I've done my part. I need you to help me out here. <laughs> I need you to do the rest. As that stone is going through the air, trusting God that it will hit the mark uh, so that he can finish him off with the sword. And uh, I won't elaborate on that because this is the family-friendly version. Um, but just in that moment, just recognizing, okay, well, I've done everything. I've, I'm willing, I'm passionate, I've stepped into the void, I've got my sling, I've done what I can. Now, God, the rest is up to you. I need your help. Can you help me out here? And so we as missionaries, we are no more or less equipped than you and vice versa. We, we are the same in that sense. David was no different to any of those soldiers back on that, that valley hill and, and to Saul. No different except for those who trust in the name of the Lord of hosts. And so a couple of points of challenge here for all of us. Are you in the tent like Saul? Did you start out your Christian ministry life full of fervor as Saul did, prophesying, slaying his thousands, winning his battles, people singing his praises? But then somehow life has somehow sidelined you, disabled you, You've had a tire blowout and you've had to pull off the road or whatever figurative language you want to use. Are you comfortable? Are you in the tent for those 40 days? Saul could just as easily have stepped up and in that day put his trust in the Lord and he could have gone and fought Goliath just as easily. And any one of us can do that. It doesn't matter. Are you in the tent? Get up. Go to where God is leading you. Are you using what God has put in your hands? David says, the armor is no good, but I've got a sling. And I'll go get me some stones, and God is going to do the rest. What have you got in your hands? Are you actively using how God has equipped you? 
What qualifications do you have? What personality, what character strengths do you have? Uh, I do want to take this moment to uh, say something I, I don't think I've said, certainly not in a public gathering like this before, uh, that uh, Peter Thompson was always an encouragement to me in the way that he showed courage to approach back then Prospect Baptist Church to say, uh, you know, let's start a Christian school. That's pretty courageous. I think there were still sheep in some paddocks up here when that conversation was had. And uh, to have the courage to go and start uh, such an awesome ministry. So what have you got in your hands and how will God... Uh, direct you? Are you open? Are you willing? Are you ready to say, here I am, send me? You don't need to wait for a commandment from God. He's already given it to you. So as a, as a good missionary that I try to be, uh, I need to reference the Great Commission. Uh, go, share the gospel uh, in Adelaide, in Australia, and don't forget to the uttermost ends of, of the earth. Uh, share with your neighbor, share with your colleague. Go plant another church in Adelaide and consider the mission field abroad. Um, if your life is boring, I've got some great suggestions for you. Uh, have you got a teaching qualification? Uh, come and talk to me. I've got an application form. But not if you work at Cedar College. Okay, just. Um, God is good. He does make up the difference. It is his battle. We need to do our part. Let me pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, I thank you so much that we do not sit back in the Christian recliner when we get saved. But Lord, we, we are called by you to represent you, to make your name known to go and to fight battles. David's fight was very physical, but he fought it in the spiritual, trusting you for the outcome. And Lord, we need to do the same. Lord, help us to focus on you amidst these turbulent times and to seek your face as to how you might be leading and directing us. Overseas missions, awesome. Uh, go get trained, awesome. Somewhere else in Australia or across Adelaide, wonderful. Over the fence, brilliant. Lord, help us to look to you and for you to guide us. Lord, we present to you our sling and our stones. We are willing servants of yours. Direct us into the fight. And Lord, we look to you to fight that battle for us. In your name we pray.